Hello, listeners, and welcome back to episode 12 of Deadly Ever Ever After. After. Why can't you ever be in sync with me? Well, you you vary your pace so often that... um, What? How can I? Harry, this is episode 12. Like, we've had 12 chances. It's like, you know, even before we record, I say one, two, three. Like, I, I don't understand why it's so difficult for you to, like, just match me on the cadence. Uh. Well, you know, exactly. I, I like that you said we've had 12 episodes because it's true. We've, had, we've and you've had 12 episodes to kind of get get your cadence um, uniform and not, not yeah, um, speed uh, it up. There's nothing but, wrong with know. my cadence. I have a beautiful speaking voice. Everyone's told me. <clears throat> Strangers literally. You do. Me. Yeah. I've told you. I, I know, but it's more like, impre- it means more when like a stranger says it. You know, like you married me. Like when it's some random dude in the movie theater, it's like, wow, oh my God, it must really be true. Right. Because I'm sure, un- unlike when I give you compliments, you you don't just roll your eyes. <sighs> so today's episode is, um, I don't think it's that well known of a case. I certainly had never heard of it. Um, I guess there is. A documentary about it on um, oxygen, which we don't subscribe to. Surprise, surprise, because someone wouldn't let me. Um, so I didn't get to watch it, but I did listen to like other podcasts. And you know, this—if you Google it, there's a lot of good information. Um, it happened, I guess, a little over 15 years ago. So it's like, yeah, there's not a lot of guesswork left. So Harry, today's case is that of Melanie McGuire. Have you ever heard of that? Her? No. Okay. She is also known as the suitcase killer. Oh, oh, she, she. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, there's been a bit more representation. What? You know? Oh, no, I just, I, I think it's important to, um, you know, not just focus on, you know, the white men, but also give, give, that you know, not all, not all crimes are just very, committed by men. That is so inappropriate. That's so fucking inappropriate. We'll, we'll let the we'll let the audience decide. You know, audience, do you do you are you fans of diversity or what? Do you just want do you just want the patriarchy to continue? Audience, ignore Harry. Don't on, ignore me. On May fifth, two thousand four, two men were fishing in the Chesapeake Bay near Virginia Beach, Virginia, when a large suitcase floated ashore. They opened the suitcase and found two human legs inside. Six days later, a graduate student cleaning up litter on the beach found a second suitcase washed up on the shore. Inside that suitcase was a human head riddled with bullet holes. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. I mean, what are the odds? Is this in the same river? Yes. What are the odds that like two suitcases both have human remains it like must be like just super violent what kind of area crime filled area it's the same crime it's not two different bodies oh right because okay two legs and oh i was thinking there were two okay sorry never mind the police launched an investigation and recovered a third smaller suitcase floating in the water on may 16th they opened the suitcase and found two arms and a torso belonging to an adult male See, Harry, it's like now they have a complete body. Hang on. So 
to uh okay yes okay all the suitcases were determined to be part of a matching dark green set by designer kenneth cole someone had placed hand weights inside the suitcases in order to weigh them down so police immediately knew that they were dealing with a homicide investigators yeah. because uh, i just want to make this clear like in case the audience hasn't put this together um like i mean this is a bit dark but there are there are many ways obviously you could um you know take your own life but being able to uh chop up your um, own body is not one of them yes thank you gary thank you i mean you might get away with an arm or a leg but then also then going and putting no no yeah can we take that part out that's i didn't realize how obvious it was until i started <laughs> Investigators commissioned an artist sketch of the victim's face, which was later ID'd as 39-year-old Bill McGuire. He was ID'd by John and Susan Rice, who were a couple who lived in the Chesapeake Bay area. And as a matter of fact, Bill and John were best friends, but Bill hadn't been in Virginia to visit John. John Rice uh, told police he actually hadn't spoken to Bill in over a month. Detectives searched their records for Bill McGuire, but discovered that no one had filed a missing persons report for him, even though he'd last been seen three weeks earlier. Can uh, I, can I go back a bit? Is um, how did they ID this victim? What do you mean? Like, how did they identify? How like, like did they just put an open call out? Like, hey, we have some remains. Well, no, they have his head, to... his face. Well, right. So they just put post. Like, how did they know where to, who to contact to? What? No, they, yeah, they like they make like posters. Like, how do you? You know, it's like on the news and stuff. Oh, right. Okay. His face isn't like cut up. Just his his body's cut up, but his face is intact. They like you know, it's not like he hasn't been like mummified. Okay. Clearly a dude. You know. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Bill had a felony offense on his record from the 1980s. He had created fake names and aliases in order to write and cash fake checks. So police compared John's fingerprint or Bill's fingerprints on file to those on the corpse and they matched. So they now have a positive ID. They know that this is Bill McGuire who's been cut up and he's floating in the Chesapeake Bay. And this is baffling to police since Bill McGuire lived and worked in Woodbridge, New Jersey. So police were wondering how he'd come to wind up dismembered floating in the ocean over 300 miles from his home. Like just a reader, like his best friend lives in this town. He does not live here. He lives multiple states away. I'm well, thinking that's not a coincidence. You know, just off, that's my hunch. Mm -hmm. Harry, you should be a cop. You're so good. Uh, you being sucked up. okay. Bill McGuire was born on September 21st, 1964. He served in the U.S. Navy and married his girlfriend, Marcy Polk, in 1986. The pair divorced in 1994 when Bill had an affair with a nursing student named Melanie Lynn Slate, a woman eight years his junior. In 1997, the couple moved in together and two years later they were married when Melanie was already pregnant with their first child. Might have been a bit of a shotgun wedding there. Right. In 2004, after five years of marriage, Bill and Melanie were living in a two-bedroom apartment in Woodbridge Township with their two toddler sons. Bill was employed at the New Jersey Institute of Technology as a computer programmer, and Melanie was working as a nurse at a nearby fertility clinic. 
Bill had recently made a longtime dream of owning a home into a reality. His offer on a beautiful house in the beach town of Asbury, New Jersey had been accepted and the deal closed on April 28th. Only two days later, however, his wife Melanie filed a domestic violence restraining order against him. And as soon as the police like learn all of this information, they know that they have to travel to New Jersey to speak with Melanie McGuire. Uh, and when they get there, she claims that she hadn't spoken to John in three weeks. And when she is asked why she didn't file a, a missing persons report for him, Melanie just shrugged and she said she assumed John had gone to Atlantic City to gamble and that he was having an affair. She had prepared divorce papers, citing alcoholism and a gambling addiction as the main issues in their marriage. Melanie told please. I hope you. I hope you wouldn't just shrug if I disappeared. Well, that depends. I mean, did I make you disappear? Because who knows how I would act, you know? Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's always the, it's always the partner, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like if you actually disappeared, yeah, like I would be, you know, like I would be distraught. I'd be like, where is he? What happened? But if I, if I was just a murderer and I knew, like, yeah, I'd probably be like, oh, hmm, yeah, whatever. You know. Well. Well, I, I, you know, bit of a, um, bit of a tip. I think it's suspicious if you do that. So, no, you know, if, no, if, it used to be Harry. That's very like 1980s true crime thinking of you. It used to be suspicious, but now everyone knows you can't judge how people grieve. Everyone grieves differently. No, I. Th well, again, yes. you do what you want, but I think if you're in this situation, you you fall on your knees and you start bawling. And I hope, and I hope that you would do that anyway. I thought he was just on a fishing trip or something, you know, make up whatever excuse, but you you do need to show some remorse, even if it's fake. Wow. I completely disagree. Couldn't disagree more. You, I think it's worse to lie because then they catch you and they're like, well, look at this psycho, like was screaming and crying and pretending to care. And he didn't like, that's creepy. Well, I mean, yeah. And I, I guess at this point I'm, I am, I am dead in this situation. So I probably want you to get caught. So, so then, yeah, maybe the psychopath routine is just like, okay, I don't know. You want me to get caught if I'm the one who killed you. But if you, yes. die, if you were murdered by a serial killer, you would have no reason to be mad at me other than the fact that you're fucking mad at me all the time anyway. But um, this one wouldn't be my fault. So I'm mad at you. Yeah, you're always you're... like freezing me out. It's like passive aggressive. I don't. I don't think that's fair. It's not your fault. Uh, maybe that can. It's what do you mean? It's your fault? No, it's it's your mom's fault. Your mom's passive aggressive. Because we we made we made a rule that we wouldn't bring mom, my mom, and your dad into this. I have a rule. That's my suggestion. I thought there was a tacit understanding that. Okay. Um, that's okay. That's okay. Fine. You can't. Oh, sorry, that that was passive aggressive. I, yeah. I'll put my hand up. That was yeah. You can't just tell me I can what I can say and what I can't say. You don't think that's passive aggressive? Be like, oh no, no. These broad topics are just off limits. Look, I think it takes two to tango when it comes to arguing. I think we can both agree on that. Melanie told police that John Bertibli stayed up for days at a time and that he had threatened on multiple occasions to kill her. This prompted her to move out of the apartment and place her kids in the care of her parents. 
She claimed he repeated this behavior during a heated fight on April 29th. Bill had threatened to disappear and not provide any financial support for Melanie or their two kids. Then Bill got into his car, drove off, and that was the last time she heard from him. And if you buy that story, then it's like, of course she wouldn't file a missing persons report. Like he just ditched her, you know? Mm. Well, I actually don't. And he, sorry, you go. No, you go. Uh, well, I, you know, and I think he's he's had a uh, history of being, you know, uh, you know, dodgy. Like, wasn't he writing bad checks? And he definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. he definitely was a convicted felon. Um, but he also, I mean, it is well documented. Even like John and Susan Rice admitted, like he did love to gamble. They didn't say he had an addiction, but he definitely like they would take trips to Atlantic City, and he like would get comps, hotel rooms, and like free meals because he because he would go so often. Like you know how people kind of. Are you able to level like level up in that way sometimes? Yeah, and they're only they're only going to offer that to you if you've already invested. Like, you know, friends probably don't might not even know as 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 well as the as the partner. You know, like um, she you know she knows, uh, Melanie knows that he's got an addiction. His friends are unaware of it. Right. Um, like you know, like your like your friends probably assume that you watch like a normal amount of TV, but I'm I'm in the house and I. I, I know that you are maybe not addicted to um to you know true crime and um and you know mid- midday movies but but you you know let's just say you do get your money's worth out of our subscriptions yeah but Harry what you're failing to mention is that like I'm not just on my ass watching TV like I do stuff I fold the laundry like I do like workouts like I dust I vacuum while the TV, like, that's what you fail to see. Like, when you watch TV, your eyes are, like, glued to the screen. Like, I'm not like that. Like, I'm barely paying attention. You know? Right. So you can't call that an addiction. Well, yeah, but, I mean, I think it's it's the worst of both worlds because you, you're not even paying attention. And then, like, the dream catcher you're making for your Etsy store is, like, it's not even even or, you know what it's not- you can do better you can do be- like you can do better I-, I think like if you just focus on one thing rather than trying to multitask all the time no i told you i like doing things that like it's good enough i'm trying to cure my perfectionism and that's the only way because if that's the case you know how many dream catchers i'll get done for my store harry you know how many how many zero i'll get zero then because i'll just be obsessing and doing and undoing and, and like tying knots and untying knots and second guessing every bead that I put on there. So instead, I just say, whatever, it's just a dream catcher. It doesn't have to be perfect. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I th- being consistent would be, might be good though, right? Well, I mean, some of them have like 50 <laughs> beads on them, others don't have any. So I like it's every, you know. I, I you know, I look, I'm, I, I'm, it sounds like I'm criticizing you, but I'm really not. I'm just saying, I think you can do, you know, I know how talented you are at your handicrafts and how much you do help around the house. And, you know, I think if you just focus on one thing, you can get even, you know, you won't be spread so thin. I, I'm not spread thin. I'm creative. I flip from thing to thing. It's just my process. You're always trying to change my process. In order I mean, to- yeah, I, I, I will learn to trust the process then. Thanks. Thank you. In order to verify. Uh, only because, only because Joyce. 
in order to because because I, I want to try what Joyce suggested. What that you stop trying to control every bit of me and every part of me? No, that even if something doesn't make sense, um, sometimes it's okay to just let go and and let you do your thing. You and that goes both ways. God, can you just let me get through this, please? Okay. In order to verify her story, police attempted to locate Bill's cell phone and his car, but this proved almost impossible. It seemed as though Bill had simply disappeared without a trace. Investigators decided to verify other parts of Melanie's story by interviewing Bill's friends and colleagues. Fellow employees at the college spoke very highly of Bill, and police discovered that Bill had scheduled time off from work from May 3rd to the 17th because he was planning to move his family into their new house in Asbury, which obviously is not something uh, someone who is planning to disappear would do. The college reported to investigators that Melanie asked about Bill's life insurance policy immediately after his body was found. Police invited Melanie to meet up with them for a videotaped interview. Melanie gave her consent and showed up with both her divorce and criminal attorneys at her side. Melanie was curt and defensive during the meeting. She said that Bill was a widely disliked man and that he'd been a terrible husband. She also said that he had a habit of pissing people off and she insinuated that Bill had been on the verge of being fired from his job. Some, some expression of remorse, isn't it? Well, there, but that's the thing. She doesn't have to feel remorseful because in her mind, she's just been ditched by this guy with her two kids. I guess, I guess grief is a better word. Like the, she's just found out that, you know, her, um, her husband's been, um, you know, decapitated and, and put into these parts of his body have been put into suitcases. And this is, this is the time when she's going to start complaining about him. Like, you know, got to be a bit better than that. Oh, I guess that's kind of a good point. Like you wouldn't do that. Like I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't do any of this, obviously. But like, I think you would you would have the common sense to to be like, oh, I can't believe what's happened. Yeah, he wasn't. He was a I bit think... of a shit bloke, but but like he didn't deserve that. No, not if I was like truly mad at you. I would. I'd be like, good, great, thank you, serial killer. Wow. Really? Okay. Well, I'm Harry, you get so mad at me. Like if you were really furious at me, you wouldn't say the same thing. No, I no, I wouldn't do that. I don't believe you. I would regardless of whether or not I did it, I would break I would break down and cry. Even if you did it. See, that to me is just pure psychopathy. Well, well, maybe, but I it would never happen, so so there you go. What would never happen? I'll never get to capture you won't do it. But, but, but both. On the evening of their fight, Melanie said Bill was physically abusive. She took her two-year-old son into her arms and hid in the bathroom with the door locked while Bill raged around the apartment. She listened to him pack up his things and leave. The next morning, Melanie packed up her things and she moved into her parents' house. At some point during the interview, detectives asked Melanie if she owned a Kenneth Cole reaction luggage set, or a gun. She denied owning either. After the interview ended, the police searched the McGuire's old apartment as they continued investigating Melanie's story. 
they confirmed with the building's management that no one had been in the unit to clean it for the new tenants. So the apartment was in the exact state Melanie McGuire had left it in almost a month earlier. Detectives found it immaculate. It was freshly painted. Oh, so let's redo that. What? Can, can you redo that? Redo what? Oh, when you, you know, butchered the line. Maybe it's... Okay, no, it's fine. Okay. It was, it was freshly painted, which the building management had not done, and the floor was polished. They didn't get any hits from luminol or forensic tests. When investigators interviewed neighbors, everyone said the McGuire's were good tenants, um, that they were quiet, they didn't fight, they didn't shout. And furthermore, no one heard any fighting or gunshots on the evening of April 29th. So I feel like that wasn't super like cohesive because you interrupted me there, Harry, but did you, are you getting like the picture? Like their apartment is insanely clean. Right, and there's, there's no, no traces of blood or anything. There's no traces of blood or anything. There's literally no DNA proving the McGuire's ever lived there. And this is an apartment that they lived in for like four years. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to re reiterate for the audience that it would have been impossible for, for Bill McGuire to have taken his own life. So definitely he was met with foul play. Well, no. And kidding. definitely part of. No kidding. Well, just in case, you know, I, I lose track of these things, so. You know, I'm just um, thinking of the audience. I'm not just plowing ahead. Harry, it's so insulting to our listeners that you feel the need to be like, hey, by the way, this guy did not cut off his own arms. He didn't shoot himself in the head and then cut his own head off. Like, no fucking kidding. No fucking right. kidding. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if you're going to insult the audience by saying that. That's, you're insulting the you audience. You're insulting. I'm saying, I'm saying they might not have heard that part. No, Harry, because unlike you, everyone that tunes into this show wants to listen to the host, AKA me. And so they're not like, they're listening, they're paying attention. They want the story, they want to be entertained. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe some of them are like you watching, watching, you know, Hulu while, you know, crocheting, crocheting a beanie. And then- I and don't be how dare you? What's That's insulting about that? It's like What's some a good old lady shit. No, I don't crochet. It's coming back. Lots of lots of young people crochet. Yeah, not... you call them young people. I mean, that proves how old you are. You should just call them people. No, it's it's for people for people who don't know how to knit. It's it's okay if you want to crochet. You know, it's... I know. Ew, I'm crafty. I'm not a knitter. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, but by your own admission, you're. You know, you're barely paying attention to to things, and I think you know our audience. Let's be real; our audience are a are a diverse group of hip young people like us, who, if they're like you, they sometimes they're not paying attention. They do need that those reminders. It's like you know hey, when you tune in. Sir, you're embarrassing yourself. Thanks. No, it's like when you tune into like Desperate Housewives and like previously on Desperate Housewives, and they give you a bit of a recap because you weren't you weren't paying attention. In no, the previous. that's because there used to be a week in between episodes, Harry. Right. They didn't have binge watching, so they had so you had to wait seven full days so they would cut a recap. Yeah. And maybe maybe I'm aging myself a bit with the um, Desperate Housewives reference. I just don't. I mean, I don't. 
just not addicted to TV. Like, no, I don't watch a lot of TV, like some people. No, you watch weird YouTube on your phone, which is even worse. Well, what do you, where are you going to get your news from? Like, the, Ew, I don't know. Podcast, the New York newspapers. Times. Yeah. No, they leave a lot of stuff Times. out. I have a New York Times subscription. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great newspaper. Really? Yeah, it's a great newspaper. And their cooking recipes is amazing. Their cooking section is phenomenal. So that's where I get my news from. It's not where you get your cooking ideas from. Oh, well, fuck you very much. If I had the time or energy to cook, I would cook. Right. Well, yeah. I just, yeah. I don't imagine in New York Times, you know, lifestyle section, they've got a whole front page spread on the joys of making mac and cheese. But actually, I, I want to take that back. I want to, they do. I like the, f oh, they do. Okay. You're so fucking elitist. No, so no, I'm not. I'm, yes, you are. I'm not. I'm saying I like, you know, I like mac and cheese. No, but you're don't, pre don't pretend it's like it's a gourmet, gourmet shit. You know, it's not. What, Harry, have you ever been to New York? Like every restaurant sells like gourmet mac and cheese. They put lobster in it and then they charge like 40 bucks. Like that is gourmet. Oh, okay. Uh, is that why Is that why sometimes you put imitation crab into our mac and cheese? Yeah, it's the same thing. You can't tell once it's been baked for like an hour. And I add extra breadcrumbs because that kind of hides it. Even though you know I don't like seafood, you still persist with that, but... I, but that's the point, Harry. It's imitation crab. It's not real. It's like it's yeah. I don't know, it's like soy or something. I don't know. I have to research that. I have to go to YouTube about. It. You've been eating it literally yeah. for years, anyway, so you're fine. Yeah, but I didn't know the whole time. I just thought it tasted funny. Well, I couldn't tell you because you're so close-minded. You wouldn't have eaten it. Police asked Melanie where she had put all of her belongings from the apartment. And she told them that she rented a storage unit in a nearby business. Police arranged to meet her there a few days after the interview. They asked to see Bill's belongings, but Melanie said she had given most of it away. It was at this point that Melanie mentioned that she remembered after their first interview that she actually did own a set of those green suitcases. So that's fishy. Investigators did not find anything strange in her storage unit. As they were leaving, the manager of the facility stopped police and told them that Melanie owned not one, but two storage units in the building. So police asked to see the second unit and Melanie obliged. Inside that unit, they found Bill's wallet. So just to clarify, like she moves out of the apartment, they own like a couch and a TV and like a coffee table and all this shit. She's moving her kids into her parents' house where they already have a coffee table and a couch. So that's why she runs the storage unit. But this basically proves um, a couple of things. She's a liar on several levels. So definitely getting um, suspicions raised, I think, on the on the side of the police. Oh, hmm, that's all you have to say? No interruptions this time? Uh, no, it's just, uh, I can hear you banging on the, banging under the table. I what? know you get, I know you, I can hear you banging on the table. Banging. Try not to. What? You're hitting your knee on the table and what do you maybe wish about? I think it's coming through on the microphone when you're hitting your knee on the you're hearing under things. the table you ever go to the doctor to get your hearing check like I told you not yet 
God, I told you like eight months ago. Yes. Yeah. Additionally, police finally got a hit on Bill's car. Records showed that it, it had been towed from the parking lot of the Flamingo Hotel in Atlantic City on May 8th. The Flamingo Hotel was a two-hour drive from the McGuire's apartment. Hotel records revealed that Bill never checked into or out of the hotel. CCTV footage showed Bill's car pulling into the parking lot around 1 a.m. on April 30th. A man could be seen exiting the car, but the footage was too low quality to confirm whether or not it was Bill. The car was abandoned for eight days until it was eventually towed away. Police seized the car and found Bill's smartphone and laptop in the trunk. Inside the glove compartment, they also found a vial of liquid and a used hypodermic syringe. Forensic toxicologists were unable to identify the drugs that were in the vial. Oh, so this is something um, interesting that I discovered during my research. Apparently, forensic toxicologists like have to know the drugs that they're testing for in order to get a hit. They can't just like test anything like that they feel. Uh, right. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the so the so the vial in the in the I mean the liquid in the vial just remained a mystery. If they knew what they were testing for, then they could, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. But they, they didn't. News of Bill's murder had leaked to the media, and because the details were so grisly, it gained a serious amount of attention. Uh, moreover, reports of Bill's abusive behavior came from both of Bill's ex-wives, Melanie McGuire and Marcy Polk. In talking to the media, Marcy told reporters that she was married to Bill for nine years, and by the time their marriage ended, due in part to Bill's affair with Melanie, she was a broken woman who needed a lot of healing to recover from his actions toward her. Ugh, I can identify with that. Conversely, Bill's friends, family, and colleagues vehemently refuted these statements. Um, they all said that Bill was like a really loving, good, good, easygoing guy who would never like hurt a fly or whatever. So, so you because yeah, so, there are two, there are two sides to every to every story. Apparently. Bill's funeral was held on July 12, 2004, in New Jersey. One week after the funeral, Melanie listed the Asbury home on the real estate market. So they bought it and they never even move in or nothing. Just, you know, off market, boom, right back on the market. Um, and by this point, four months had passed since the discovery of Bill's body, and the police were no closer to solving the murder. So they closely re-examined the evidence including Bill's personal effects and his remains. During this re-examination, police looked again inside the suitcases that had washed up on the Chesapeake Bay, and they found a single long brown hair and flecks of red nail polish, like in the lining. So this led investigators to believe that a woman had likely murdered Bill. Bill's disembodied head had been wrapped in a blanket that was kind of um, distinctive in some way. And the police like the, that, that method was very distinctly feminine of like wrapping something in a blanket. Is that the idea? No, I think, I think men will wrap body parts in blankets. No, I mean like the physical blanket itself. Like, I don't know if it was the color or the texture, but it was very uh, distinctive. And so the police were able to trace the blanket back to the manufacturer and the manufacturer gave the police a list of all their clients of every place that they sold the blankets to. Oh, uh, wow. And okay. behold, when you know it, the clinic that employed Melanie McGuire like you like buys these fucking blankets so oh wow yeah forensic and wow. that would be like that would be like if my if uh i mean it's grizzly too even 
say this, but if like my body ended up in a suitcase and inside, like inside that was also like parts of your body, it ended up in multiple suitcases. Right. 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 But in, yeah, right. But in, in one, in one of them was like a a builder bear that you'd made. Um, I don't see how that's related at all. And you, this, that's fucked up. That's just so fucked up, Harry. No, but I'm just saying, like, I mean, that's more no, an obvious one, but they'd be like, oh, who made this weird bear I with all these, like, left... Get me a Build-A-Bear since we started dating. Who made this Build-A-Bear with, like, a leopard print face and a I bow on its head? Harry, Harry, you know it's been a dream of mine. Like, I, I didn't have a boyfriend when I was a teenager, and when I was a teenager, all the romantic couples, like, on Valentine's Day, would go to the mall, and they would go to Build-A-Bear, and I always wanted a boy to make me one, and I told you that, and you still you know, just told me to fuck off. So I had to make my own Build-A-Bear. So yeah, I made it flamboyant and fun. Right. That's, and that's okay. But I'm just saying like, like, yeah, it, that would be a direct link back to you. Right. And it's interesting. I'm, how I'm like mad at you that you brought this up. It's like, you're trying to get me to cry on my own podcast. No, don't, don't cry. Don't. We can go back. Let's a little late. Nick. A little late. The next time, the next time it's your birthday, let's. No, I don't want. I have, I don't want to have to ask you to take me to Build Bear. I want you to just know that I want to go there. What if that? Hmm. And now, because I've had to ask you so many times, we can never go there. Well, why not? Because it's stupid. That's not fair. What? Yes, it is fair. Yes, it is fair. Well, well, let's okay. Just out of just out of curiosity, like how, what would be the most um, cost-effective builder bay you could get? What? Oh, like just so I, I know, like I've heard that. They, I just want to get a sense of how much I'm, it's going to cost. That's all. Wow, you monumental levels of assholery today, Harry. On your behalf, congratulations. Just want to get a sense of it. Do, that's sorry, all you know, is there something wrong with that oh so you can't you can't just like look it up you can't google rochester mall build a bear and then look at their website oh i mean can't do I, that. I no but i feel like that just asking perfect. how just asking how much it is is a big that's problem true. to you so you just expect me to write a blank check to build a bear who even pays by check anymore harry Teenagers can afford these fucking bears. It's like, you can't like a do some research B maybe just don't cheap out on a gift for me for once. I mean, if you're into crafts so much, why can't you build your own bear? Harry, it's not the point. It's the symbolism. Right. It's the symbolism of the thing. Okay. We'll go there once. Let's do it. I don't know. I don't want to go there with you now. No, let's do it. Nope, I don't want to. You can go. Maybe I will. Yeah, go by yourself, you big fucking creepy child molester. No, no, because what will happen? I'll say, I'm going to build a bear, and you'll say, what? Okay, I'm coming. And then, you, then you'll follow me, and then, and then you know, then we'll have a great time. Oh, do I have amnesia in this scenario? Because I'm making a mental note to never fucking go to build a bear with you, ever. So it's gone from being your dream to suddenly, okay. Yeah, it used to be my dream and then you ruined it. I want you to know that. 
Noted. Forensic investigators combed through Bill's laptop and found that on the morning of his disappearance, Bill had sent an email to his boss at 6.17 a.m. The email stated that Bill would be out sick that day. However, detectives noted that the boss's email address was misspelled, causing the email to bounce back unsent. Um, so that's sketchy, right? Obviously, Bill would know how to spell his boss's email address, so speculated that Bill didn't send this email. The medical examiner retrieved three bullets from Bill's corpse, and ballistics experts determined that they were a very particular kind of bullet. Bear with me here, listeners. They were flat-nosed 38 caliber woodcutters. 38 caliber guns uh, apparently are also very unusual. So police were able to trace the sale. They like they checked their records for the sale of any 38 caliber gun, I think in like the tri-state area. And they were able to trace the sale of a 38 caliber gun to John's Gun and Tackle store in Easton, Pennsylvania. And when investigators spoke to John, people, John, that was Bill's friend, wasn't it? What? No, 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 no. John, John Rice lives in Virginia. This is Pennsylvania. It's just looking. Oh, uh, yeah. You gotcha. You think there's one guy named John in both of these states? Well, I mean, it's yeah, no, yeah. It does. I, I didn't know. I didn't realize that that was the actual name of the shop. I thought it was like you were saying John's John's tackle store, like because we'd already talked about John Rice. So you were no, the name of it's the here's John's. John's. No, the name of the store is John's Gun and Tackle Store. Okay. Well, I think that could have been made a little clearer. Oh, like I can't remember what you think at this point. Well, you know, you could say they traced it back to a shop named... They asked if he could recall to whom he had sold the gun. The man immediately identified Melanie McGuire. (sighs) The man said he remembered her very clearly since the majority of his clientele, surprise, surprise, were men... And she was also the first nurse he'd ever sold a gun to. So I don't know how... So she she walked in with a like nurse's outfit on? Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe you have to write your occupation like on the like on the sale receipt or something. I've never bought a gun, so I don't know how it works. But right. yeah, I feel like there... Or maybe she was making conversation and she told him she was a nurse. But either uh-huh. way, it's stuck in his brain because that is pretty fucking weird. Probably don't sell a lot of guns to nurses. Right. And this lady isn't like a, like a, um, what's the word? Like an ER nurse, right? She's not like treating people with bullet wounds. She's a fertility nurse. This lady helps people get pregnant. So it's like also very, you know, she doesn't, this like, this woman doesn't deal with like trauma wounds or whatever. Oh, uh, right. So she's not, yeah. 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 Right. Though the police had a mounting pile of circumstantial evidence that pointed to Melanie McGuire as her husband's murderer, they knew they needed something more concrete in order to indict her. Because that's the thing with this stuff, right? Like this is all so, it's all circumstantial, even though to me, it's pretty crystal clear that she murdered him, right? By March, 2005, the police had begun monitoring Melanie's phone calls in the hope that she would reveal something incriminating. They noticed that she and her stepfather, Michael Capararo, seemed to be speaking in like a weird code um, and that raised their suspicions. And they also noticed- It was probably a different language. It was, you know, with that that surname. What? I'm thinking Capararo sounds Italian. So they're probably speaking Italian or something. Seems a bit like- No, she can't, no, she can't speak Italian. He's, first of all, he's her stepfather. So she's not Italian. Her last name is Slate. 
her maiden name. So, and also that's really offensive. Italian is not a weird code. You don't think well, that's what no that no I think it's that's what I mean I'm saying it's offensive that they thought it was a weird code when it was just a, they didn't a language think it was Italian. you think it was it well it they could mean, be I mean I think I'm jumping ahead a bit but they're not jumping ahead they're speaking English they're just like using weird words to describe other things I assume weird words like buongiorno you know that's probably that's the way these cops think sometimes you know oh my god they also noticed that she talked very frequently with her boss, Dr. Bradley Miller, a married father of three. As the police listened to more and more of their conversations, they realized that Melanie and Dr. Miller were having an affair. <gasps> Detectives scheduled an interview with Dr. Miller, but he refused to speak without his lawyer present. They rescheduled the meeting after Miller struck a deal. He agreed to give the police a full account of what happened to Bill McGuire in exchange for immunity. And that's like a pretty crazy deal. So I feel like they must have had some shit on Dr. Miller, right? Like, of course. Hello? Am I doing this? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just I'm just um just looking up. Builder Bear's actually not that expensive. Oh my god, Harry. You can get a spring green frog for $24. That's I was thinking where we're get we're thinking triple digits, but well, for I don't want a spring a spring green frog. Oh, for example, you look up. I want a premium bear. Happy hugs, Teddy. Twenty dollars. That sounds good. Twenty dollars. Um, a possum. No, that's thirty-four. A possum, Harry. No, forgive. Are you trying to get me to divorce you? We said we wouldn't mention the D word on the podcast. Well, you're you're pushing me to it. I can't help it. You're like goading me. She's joking, listeners. I'm not joking. Now I'm on the Build-A-Bear website because I want to see what the most expensive one is. Because if you come home with anything less than like the most fucking premium gold star bear, I am going to leave you. I'm just going to Google it. Most expensive bear. Uh, good news. It's out of stock. Must be other people like you trying to. Other people like me that have self-worth. <clears throat> trying to empty their husband's bank accounts. Wow. Straight into Build-A-Bear's oh. coffers. No, look, it looks it looks very reasonable though. I'm, I'm happy to go there. No, it, are, it are is you your dream. kidding me? You've turned this from a cute thing. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I, I'm, I'm serious. Let's do it. Let's no, do it. I don't, ew, I don't want to go there with you. I hate you. Wow. She doesn't mean that, listeners. I kind of mean it. I mean it a little bit. I don't hate you, but I I would never say that. No. Yes. I've said I hate things you do, but I don't hate you. But you say it. No. Yes. I'll say like I hate this when I'm eating your weird imitation crab mac and cheese i'll say things like that for sure delicious it's not weird take that back hey i just had i just had an idea i know this is maybe this is not the time to mention it but maybe again this is i think this is it oh anyway i'll just say my idea what would it i'm just thinking about patreon again would that be maybe you could offer your your recipe ideas 
What? The Patreon members. No, Harry, that's not, it's not related to true crime at all. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Now you have me looking at Build-A-Bears and I'm distracted. Um, I'll turn my phone off. 20, the one I want is $22. And honestly, I, I don't want it because I wish it was $222. Because now I just, now I, out of spite, I want it to be expensive. And because it was so reasonable, it's like you could have just bought me one and we wouldn't even be having this fight. Okay. So, know that. Well, I know, I know how much it is now. So, um, you know, um, let's see. Let's see if you don't get a Build-A-Bear surprise. I'm gonna oh, I know which one. I found it. I found the one you want. I'm going to light it on fire. Right. You build me a bear, it's going to straighten the garbage. Right. She doesn't mean that, listeners. I do. I mean it, listeners. When he, so I just want to be clear. I'm not going to get it for you, okay? But is it the Disney Stitch or is it the online exclusive Slytherin Snake? Wow, neither. Neither. Neither of those is a fucking bear. I want the classic oh, bear. They're all bears, though. Online exclusive baby Groot. Is that it? A Groot is not a bear. Disney Frozen 2 Olaf. What the fuck are you looking at? I just want a normal fucking Build-A-Bear. I want the classic timeless bear. That's what I thought. So that's why I'm, you're giving me the price of all these ones that are not that. So that's why I was, I'm wanting to, oh you know. Confirm. During their initial interview, Dr. Miller spoke for four hours straight. He and Melanie had been having an affair for three years. It had begun when Melanie was 38 weeks pregnant with her and Bill McGuire's second son. And just a side note on that. Ooh. Ew. Ew. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you there. He's a fertility doctor, so I can just imagine that he was thought it was so fucking hot and that just makes my skin crawl. But anyway, Bradley Miller had purchased burner cell phones for the pair of them, and he and Melanie would constantly call and text each other under the noses of their spouses, which is so fucking rude. They met up to have sex in various hotels around New Jersey. And as the affair continued, Melanie and Bradley both realized that they both wanted to leave their families and begin a new life with each other. Oh no! And this is not like a classic. Are you of like leave your wife? No, I love her. Doctor Miller's like fuck my wife, and Bill and Melanie's like I'm gonna leave Bill. Like they're both they both want out. So uh, you're not gonna tell me that he's he's put his wife in a suitcase as well, are you? Harry. According. I hope not. According to Doctor Miller, Melanie called him on April 28th, the same day Bill McGuire closed on the new house in Asbury and said she was going to ask Bill for a divorce. Bradley Miller was excited by this, but he didn't hear from Melanie again that night, even though he called and texted her repeatedly because he wanted to know um, how the discussion had gone. At 9 a.m. the next morning, Melanie finally called Brad back, telling him about the vicious physical fight she'd had with Bill. Uh, believing her story that her husband had abandoned Melanie and their two kids, Dr. Miller I guess said like, well, oh, sorry about that. And he continued his affair with Melanie for months after this phone call. I mean, I guess, you know, he was wrong, but I appreciate that he believes women as someone who also does that. God, yeah, right. You literally make your wife cry on her own podcast. There isn't anyone more emotionally abusive than you. That's, she doesn't mean that listeners. 
I, I do mean that. Stop saying that what I mean and what I don't mean. I mean every word that comes out of my mouth. So Melanie basically didn't mention Bill again until his body was discovered. So for three weeks, like he, she hasn't heard from him. He slapped her in the face and then drove off and she's just totally happy to just fuck Dr. Miller and, and forget Bill exists. But of course, after the police recover Bill's car and the CCTV footage, police catch on a phone call between Dr. Miller and Melanie, she confesses that she is the one who abandoned Bill's car and that it was her on the camera footage, not Bill. And uh, according wasn't it, wasn't it a man in the camera? It was just, it was just like a figure, it's like a hulking figure, but I guess it, she says it was her. Uh, uh, so is, she quite a, is she quite a heavy set woman? No, she's a tiny, a tiny woman, but we'll get there here. I'll answer your questions. Just fucking okay. for a second. According to the doctor, Melanie claims that after their fight, she drove to Atlantic City to look for Bill. And she found his car in the parking lot of the Taj Mahal Casino, which was his favorite spot to gamble. And that's like the place that would like comp his rooms and give him free meals and stuff. And like I said, he, according to Melanie, he slapped her in the face during their fight. And so by the time she gets to the Taj Mahal, she's still pissed. And she decides to move his car a mile and a half away to the Flamingo Hotel where like Bill will be drunk and he'll come out and he won't be able to find his car. And so it's like kind of a funny prank, although she told Brad Miller that she meant it as like a spiteful act of revenge. And she was so frustrated that she actually couldn't remember where she parked her own car afterwards. So like she drives to Atlantic City, it's one in the morning. She moves Bill's car afterwards. She's like, where's my car? And she basically claims that she just called a cab company to drive her back to Woodbridge Township, which is, remember, it's two hours away. Mm. The lady just took a two-hour cab ride. So it's like definitely at least $150. And she's just given up on finding, well, finding a car. That's well, strange. so this, this is all happening during the early morning hours of the 30th. And so Melanie told the doctor that as soon as she comes home from Atlantic City in, her, in the cab, she were, just miraculously remembers where she parked her car. So she calls another local cab company to drive her back to the Taj Mahal Casino. So basically she's made four trips to Atlantic City in the last six hours. Or I guess eight hours, because two hours a trip, right? So she drives down there, she cabs back, she cabs back down, she drives back up. Like just insane. Yeah, it's, I'm not buying it. Good, be another to the police because they checked with all the local cab companies in both Woodbridge and Atlantic City and no one had a record of a two hour trip with a lone female passenger in the middle of the night. Melanie told Bradley that she returned to Atlantic City two more times after this incident. The first was four or five days after her fight with Bill. And this time she had her stepfather, Michael in tow and they went to go check to see if Bill's car was still at the Flamingo Hotel, which it was. And then she came back down by herself on May 18th. Um, and at that point, obviously, Bill's car was gone. And during one of their re recorded phone calls, Brad Miller asks Melanie why she never like told him any of this earlier. And Melanie, of course, not being aware that she was being recorded, just said that she hadn't wanted to upset Bill with the information, upset um, Brad Miller with the information. And Bill, Bill would have been pretty upset to to learn that he'd been um his corpse had been mutilated wow very funny harry haha -ha. months after dr miller began working with the police melanie also admitted over the phone uh that she purchased a gun at his request 
since they were going to be moving to their new house in a more rural area. Melanie said Bill couldn't purchase one himself since he was a convicted felon. Melanie said she obeyed him and bought one, which the police already knew because they talked to John, not John Rice, at John's um, gun and tackle store. Melanie also... But just so I just want to add a bit more credence to what I was saying before. There is a a guy called John does operate John's tackle and gun shop, right? I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe John is his son who was tragically killed by a firearm. I don't know. I wasn't there. I am just a woman making a true crime podcast. Please stop fucking grilling me. Thanks. Melanie had also told the doctor that she had been furniture shopping in Delaware, not far from the Chesapeake Bay one day before the suitcases containing Bill's dismembered body began floating to shore. So I feel like at this point, at this point, Melanie's just like really wants to scream out like I did it to Dr. Miller. Doesn't it feel like that? She's like, oh yeah, I did buy a gun. Oh yeah, I was down there, but I was shopping for furniture. She's like, no, you fucking weren't. You know what I mean? Yeah. When the police- you know, but, but, but to his credit, he is doing, I mean, he, even though he might have suspicions, he is, you know, it is important to believe women. Um, stop that no that makes it worse for women i mean just just to be clear i mean in in hindsight i think it um he was right to be suspicious but i do appreciate um as someone who who believes women that he that he did um brad bradley miller did do that you know i think that's no that that just harms the movement you can't i mean this lady is so fucking clearly guilty for him to be like, oh, I believe her because she's a woman that that undermines women that didn't murder their husbands and cut their bodies up and throw them in suitcases and throw them in, in the ocean. Sure. Well, no, yeah, I, I guess so. But I think it's a, that's in hindsight, right? I think, you know. What's in hindsight? Well, you know, it's a, it's a bit like if, if there's a women's march, right? And I participate in the women's march embarrassing if you were part that would be embarrassing to me as a woman i i'm not embarrassed i am i don't care i i don't i don't care it's like i'll put a pussy hat on and walk down the street with a bunch of other strong strong women and men and i will fight for women's rights even if even if it means that actually oh that women's march that wasn't a women's march that was like you know that was all co-opted what you were correct which yeah, is yeah exactly yeah yeah dude are you hearing how stupid you sound i well i like to think that it's the thought that counts no it's F, no no it's the actions that count right well the actions that's what i meant to say when police pressed him dr miller did break slightly uh confessing that he knew that melanie's stories really weren't very believable He told the police he was so blinded by infatuation that he was willing to believe basically anything Melanie told him. And what Dr. Miller failed to tell the police at this point was that while he was regularly recording his phone calls with Melanie, he was also still having sex with her. So just allow that to sink in. She's, the police are like, hey, your girlfriend cut up her husband and threw him in the ocean. He's like, still gonna bang her. So like that's Dr. Miller for you, which is, you know, ew, right? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think he 
I think when when we learned that he had he had um, made love with Melanie when she was thirty eight weeks pregnant, I think we all we all knew that he was um, you know significantly deranged. So that doesn't really change change that much for me. Wow, Harry! For once, you've made an eloquent and almost funny point. What did you just say? Oh, uh, you know that he was we, obviously he was. There's something wrong with him if he's if he's going to cheat on his wife with a someone who's um, you know at any moment their their sex could be interrupted with a with a child coming out. Like that's that's sorry, that's revolting. I um I shouldn't. Can we take that out? Hello, can we take that out? Melanie's phone calls revealed that she was also regularly communicating with a man named James Finn. They had been students at nursing school together in the 1990s, and their friendship seemed to have flirtatious undertones. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Are you serious? Oh, what, can you paint a picture for the audience? Flirtatious undertones, Harry, figure it out. Police brought James Finn in for questioning, and he said that he and Melanie had lost contact after they graduated from school, but had reconnected in September of 2004, after he reached out to her to offer his sympathies about Bill. So it's like, yeah, we didn't talk, and then I was like, oh, hey, sorry, your husband wound up floating in the ocean, and now they're friends again. So, not great. Hmm. Investigators had suspicions about James Finn, and after hours of questioning, he, too, cracked admitting that he had been in love with Melanie all throughout nursing school, but her rejection of him had been gentle, so they were able to, like, remain close friends, which I think is toxic. Yes. James mentioned several details that stuck out to police. For instance, Melanie bought James a copy of Stephen King's Dolores Claiborne for Christmas 1995. The plot follows an abused wife who kills her husband and gets away with it. Inside the front cover, Melanie had written a message to James, quote, now here is a story of a woman with true strength and wisdom. You can learn a lot from her. I did. I mean, what a psycho. Sounds like something you would write, like a, a woman with true strength and wisdom and she's actually a fucking, you know, serial killer. Yeah, right. I, I, you know, that is fair. I, I, I agree. I would write that like I would. I think I, I wouldn't write that if I'd read the book, but I can see myself like... Uh, you know, I can see myself buying, buying a book for my sister and read, you know, knowing that it's got like a strong female character in it and just writing something like that, just having not read the book and then making a mistake that way. Because, oh, you know, I do want to. So you would lie and be like, oh, here's like a strong woman. And it could be a book about a woman that like is in a bad marriage and she kills herself. And you would give that to your sister and be like, here's a good role model for you. you right, right. Because I hadn't read the book, not because, not because I thought it was she was a good role model. Just because I saw, ah, there's a woman on the cover. It's probably going to be she's probably going to be a strong role model, you know, oh, something like that. It's worth mentioning that Melanie had begun an affair with the then married Bill McGuire a year prior to this, so she's already she's already with Bill when she writes this creepy ass message to James. Then, oh, right. So this would have been a, two years earlier. Is this, is this right when she gave that message to James Finn? He gives the message to James Finn in 1995. She starts, Bill starts cheating on his wife with Melanie in 1994. They get married in 1997. He dies in 2004. Right. Okay. 
1997, as I said, Melanie married Bill. And so her and James' friendship kind of waned and they didn't speak very much for the next several years. However, Melanie began writing to James via email out of the blue in February, 2004. She complained about Bill and stated outright that she was afraid of him. According to James, Melanie made Bill sound completely unstable. Just he's addicted to drugs and alcohol and he's a gambling addict and he doesn't sleep. And he, you know, James would get these really disturbing emails from Melanie. So he would respond and he said, you know, leave Bill and take your children and prioritize your safety. He, he even re recommended that she buy a gun to protect herself. But Melanie said she did not feel safe having a gun in the house. And basically after detectives have talked to James Finn for like a couple of days, he basically realizes that all these details that Melanie had fed him about her marriage to Bill were just complete bullshit. Um, so he also decides to cooperate with detectives and he agrees to wear a wire during his phone calls with Melanie, also in exchange for immunity. So he and Dr. Miller get identical deals. Uh. On June 2nd, 2005, just over a year since Bill's body was discovered, Melanie McGuire was formally charged with his murder. She pleaded not guilty and she was held on $750,000 bail. Now, if... Yeah. If Dr. Bradley Miller actually paid for this bail, um, that's um, that's appalling. No, he he doesn't. Uh, her parents okay. put their house as collateral against this, which is kind of irresponsible because she's pretty fucking guilty. And it's like, well, you have two toddlers to raise because uh, your daughter murdered their dad and now you're going to be homeless. But they put the house up as collateral and she was released into their custody while she awaited trial. So this is um, a strange thing. While the prosecution and the defense are you know, compiling evidence and preparing their arguments. The local newspaper, The Trentonian, Dr. Miller, Melanie, Melanie McGuire, her divorce attorney and the state attorney general all receive letters in the mail. This all happens in the same week in August. They all receive letters and all the letters are the same. They're handwritten and they're over three pages long. And it, it basically tells the story of how um, organized crime uh, members murdered Bill McGuire uh, as retribution for his many unpaid gambling debts. Uh, and the letters also mentioned like very specific details that the, the police said deliberately withheld from the public, uh, like how Bill's arms were still attached to his torso, that was not uh, reported, and how hand weights were in the suitcases to try to weigh them down to the bottom of the bay. Um, so the police knew that whoever wrote these letters, like obviously had done the crime. The letters mentioned how Melanie couldn't have committed the crime simply because she was too physically weak. As I said earlier, she was like, a, she is a, was a very attractive woman. She was very slender, very, you know, I don't think, she, I think she was pretty short. The letters also mentioned that Melanie was just straight up bad at sex. So it's pretty weird. Wow. Uh, that is, uh, that is, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, almost instantly, investigators believe that Melanie, of course, wrote these weird ass letters in an attempt to like throw suspicion off herself, which is insane. Um, and a forensic analyst testified in court that the letters shared many similarities with other handwriting samples taken from Melanie McGuire's, like, you know, her fucking grocery list and her, you know, journal or whatever. So she does that. That's pretty weird. Um, that is weird. Yeah. yeah. On October 12th, 2005, Melanie was indicted on charges of first-degree murder, the unlawful possession of a weapon, desecrating human re remains, and perjury. 
she was made to await her trial from a jail cell since her bail was increased to $2 million and her parents had already put up their shitty house as collateral, you know, and that's a lot of money. So with, maybe we talked about this, but I'm not, um, I'm a bit hazy on how bail works. Do they get that money back or do they just pay that? And how does, is it like a deposit or something? Like how does that, how does it work? I don't know. Oh, it says, I just Googled it. Apparently it's generally non-refundable. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Crazy. They just give that up for even, yeah. yeah. I guess they're her parents, but anyway. But I mean, again, there's a lot of evidence against her. So maybe you would just be like, man, you can wait in jail and I'll keep my house. Yeah. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. While Melanie sat waiting, investigators seized all of her electronic devices from her parents' house, which totaled eight cell phones, three laptops, and eight computers. They found sex between Melanie and Dr. Bradley Miller. Just can't imagine how disgusting those are. Can you like, he can feel her baby in her stomach while they're having sex. So, like... That's probably what he likes. Ugh, how gross is that? Mm. But she wasn't pregnant all the time with her. No, yeah, always. Yeah. No, but I just, I, I mean, he probably wanted to make her pregnant again. He's a fertility doctor. He's probably fucking, oh God. Right. Weirdos. They also found Google searches on Bill and Melanie's shared computer for, quote, how to commit murder, where to purchase a gun without a permit, fatal and detectable poisons, and fatal insulin doses. Police also found extensive searches about the drug chloral hydrate, which is a fast acting sedative that is normally administered uh, for like a medical surgery. Police had long suspected that Bill McGuire had been drugged prior to his murder. And this Google search now allowed the forensic toxicologist to test the clear vial of liquid found in Bill's car for something specific. They tested it for chloral hydrate and it wound up being a match. Ah. So now they know what's in the car. Police searched for any prescriptions for chloral hydrate stemming from the reproductive clinic where Melanie and Dr. Miller both worked. And of course, they found a single script written for a female patient of Dr. Miller's and signed by him. Uh, the doctor, Ooh. yeah, but the doctor vehemently denied prescribing or signing the script. Um, and the police interviewed the patient who said she never received this, like she didn't ask for it, she didn't actually get it prescribed to her, and she definitely didn't fill the prescription. So. No. You go. No, you go. What? Well, I was going to, if there's also details in the script about how Melanie Maguire is bad at sex, then you know that she, that's the same as what she'd written in the letters as well. So you, she's, not that that would be, because you know, yeah. they've been having an affair for three years. Would you have an affair with someone who's bad at sex three years? I feel like you'd be like, okay, I'll find it. I'll still cheat on my wife, but I'll find somebody who's good in bed. Like, duh. Yeah. Right right yeah so do you think that was do you think that was a lie that that she told that she was bad at sex i think you're too fixated on what melanie mcguire is like while she's having sex that's what i think oh i'm just trying to get to the bottom of things miller mentioned that nurses were able to write and fill prescriptions leaving suspicions once again back to melanie this is just, just, just to remind the audience, Melanie was a nurse, and that's how she met um, Bradley Miller. Harry, they know. So she pay attention. They know. They know. Don't interrupt me because it's actually this is a, a badass bit of police work right here. 
So the police yeah. were able to track the prescription back to the Walgreens Pharmacy in Edison, New Jersey, where they could confirm that it was filled on April 28, 2004, one day before Bill's murder. The Walgreens was also located only a mile from where the McGuire's children were enrolled in daycare. And I believe that they could even, like according to Melanie's story, she claimed to drop her children off at daycare and the timestamp from the Walgreens pharmacy when they filled this prescription of chloral hydrate was like 20 minutes after she said she had dropped her children off. So it's like, it's like, this whole thing is like chef's kiss, like airtight, right? It's like of her own admission, they have her in that neighborhood, you know, they have her less than a mile away, like it's from her clinic, blah, 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 all this shit. They, you know, it's a day before the murder. It's the, the April 28th. It's the day that Bill closed on the house. Meanwhile, she's picking up drugs to incapacitate and, and kill him. It's not looking well, good for Melanie. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's, yeah, it's not right? looking good for Melanie. Yeah. yeah, like she's so guilty at this point to me. After almost three years of investigative work, Melanie McGuire's trial began on March 7, 2006. The state claimed Melanie's main motive for the murder was her desire to start a new life with her longtime lover, Dr. Bradley Miller. The defense, meanwhile, stuck to the story that Bill's death was in some way connected to his alleged gambling addiction. It's kind of weird though, they didn't ever offer up like another suspect or like they just, you know, they just said like, no, it was someone else, but they never say who, which is such a fucking lame defense. Do they need to say who though? I mean, it's, I don't know, if I'm a jury member, it's like, oh, not Melanie McGuire, then you better be able to tell me like, you know, the hitman who did do it. Lead prosecutor Patty Prezioso painted a vivid and disturbing portrait of what likely happened to Bill McGuire the night he disappeared. She said that on April 28th, Melanie McGuire wrote a prescription for the sedative chloral hydrate on Dr. Miller's script pad and forged his signature. She left the office, dropped her children off at daycare and then drove to the Walgreens and filled the prescription. That evening, the McGuire's were celebrating the purchase of their new home with a bottle of wine. So prosecutors thought Melanie likely added the chloral hydrate to some of Bill's glass and waited until he fell unconscious. She then shot him in the head using the gun she'd purchased in Eastern Pennsylvania, sandwiching a green couch cushion in between the gun and Bill's head to muffle the sound. Patty Prezioso relied heavily on the testimony of forensic scientist Tom Lesniak to help the jury interpret the, the investigators' findings at the crime scene. Prezioso theorized that Bill was most likely murdered in the bathroom of the couple's New Jersey apartment, since it was the only room that had tiled flooring, which is much easier to clean blood off of versus the hardwood flooring of the rest of the apartment, which uh, obviously would absorb the blood. So they uh, didn't find any blood, did they? No, they didn't find. Well, that's the thing. Tom Lesniak testified that investigators did not find a single drop of blood or even a speck of DNA in the entire apartment. It's like there, there wasn't even a trace of evidence that proved that the McGuire's had ever even lived there. Like that's how clean this apartment was. And she's claiming she moved out after the physical fight with Bill and she's like distraught and all this shit. That doesn't really add up, you know? Right. And it's like prosecutors use that evidence to point even more suspicion at Melanie. It's like who cleans an apartment that thoroughly when they're moving out? Like, like I said, she repainted all of the walls, which like, even if you're a good tenant, you don't repaint. Like you just fill the holes, right? You spackle your holes. So yeah, right. 
Tom Lesniak mentioned that while they didn't find anything in the apartment, they did find very, very small traces of human DNA on the floor of Bill McGuire's car. And of course, by Melanie's own account, she moved Bill's car on the evening of April 30th. Therefore, Lesniak supposed that small amounts of Bill's tissue were transferred onto Melanie's shoes while she was dismembering Bill's body in the bathroom, and that those pieces of tissue were then transferred into the car when she drove it to Atlantic City. The defense, for their part, focused on debunking the prosecution's evidence. They did not offer up alternative theories or suspects, but they merely suggested that Melanie basically simply would have divorced Bill if she wanted to start a new life with Dr. Miller, which her defense attorney denied anyhow. Uh, they relied heavily on the testimony of Melanie's friends uh, and her neighbors and patients of hers at the fertility clinic to describe how like loving Melanie was, how they could never ever imagine her to be capable of such a crime, which like, Honestly, when you have this much evidence against you, that's just embarrassing. It's like, I can't right. imagine her, like, you know, buying drugs to, like, <clears throat> hus husband unconscious so he can't fight back while she murders him. It's like, well, she did. So just because you can't, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean, like, she didn't, you know? True. On April 27th, 2006, after four days of deliberation, the jury found Melanie McGuire guilty of the murder of her husband, Bill McGuire. She was sentenced to life in prison, and in 2014, she lost the final appeal of her verdict with the Supreme Court ruling that she had indeed received a fair trial. Police still believe that Melanie McGuire had an accomplice in the murder of her husband, Bill, but no one has ever been arrested or named publicly. Speculation in the media points to her stepfather, Michael Caporaro, but there does Capararo. not- Caporaro. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But there does not seem to be enough evidence to indict him. Melanie remains incarcerated at the Edna Mahan Correctional Facility in Clinton, New Jersey, where she will remain for the rest of her life. And that, Harry, is the very disturbing story of Melanie McGuire, the suitcase murderer. Wow. Do you think James Finn was involved? Oh, like is he the accomplice? The, the, yeah. Uh, no, I don't. No. Really? Because he was this kind of infatuated... Yeah, but she you know. was having sex with James Finn when she was 38 weeks pregnant, so I don't really feel like, like, why would he help her, you know? Well, you know, maybe he he had some common sense and didn't didn't want to um, hit that, you know? But, um, but he was interested after that, maybe, you know? Um, I think if a man is sexually attracted to a woman who has just been convicted of cutting her husband's head off, um, something deeply wrong with you. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. No, no, but I mean he was the accomplice. Yeah, but why would he be her accomplice? He didn't she didn't promise him anything. If anything, Dr. Miller probably was her accomplice, to be honest. Really? I right. I mean, he's the one that wants to run away with her, allegedly, even though her mm. defense attorney's like they never wanted to do that, which is totally contradicts everything. Right. So and maybe he thinks in his his demented mind that, you know, he has helped so much life come into the world that he's able to you know take one out i mean i think that's disturbing but you for once you might be right so uh, who knows what these fertility weirdos you know think like so i feel like this episode's coming off very anti-baby and i'm not but i just like there's so many other true crime stories around like you know Doc, like fertility doctors that just um, impregnated women with their own sperm unbeknownst to them that like I don't trust any fertility thing of any in any way so yeah exactly 
Anyway, um, I think that just about wraps it up for this episode. Um, listeners, we'll be back next week with our finale for the season one of Deadly Ever After. So get excited for that. As always, please leave us um, a rating and a review on iTunes. Five stars, preferably, uh, and no rude comments. Thank you so much. And also, if you have any spare income, um, we would love for you to be a patron of our Patreon. Yeah, we have all sorts of cool merch and you can get like bonus um, content and, you know, you have like even more access to Harry and, and Mai's life. You get like a real inside look into how the podcast is made. Like we're pretty open, but even even in this format, there are things that we cut out, believe it or not. So you get access to all that. Definitely. And, and you know, like um, you will get, we are happy to give personal shout outs to um, Patreon members over a certain tier um so you know if you uh you know lisa or myself will will um send you a message like hey what's up or something like that so i, mean, I can't do that which i'm too busy to do that for every single patron but um yeah yeah i'm not talking about like the dollar tier that no they, they, they don't they won't get that well that i know no no no. we value everyone at every tier but i just mean like you know in terms of personalized attention that's like you do kind of have to fork up a little more money because you know we're busy people so right yeah